Welcome back to the Der Show. Um, as the world looks on with horror at the increasingly brutal war crimes that Putin and his minions are inflicting on Ukraine, there's mounting frustration. Everybody wants to do something. Well, not everybody. Some of my commentators are still rooting for Putin and think that, uh, you know, Zelensky is a Nazi and Putin is the greatest thing since uh, whatever, since Stalin probably. But um, the vast, vast, vast majority of reasonable people understand that these are war crimes. They're horrible war crimes. They're getting worse. Recent disclosures that soldiers planted booby traps in children's toys and sandboxes in order to lure children to blow themselves uh, up. I mean, what, what a horrible, horrible war crime. Um, no excuse, no justification. Uh, now the city of Maripol is surrounded and people can't get out. Um, soldiers are trapped, um, civilians are trapped, and uh, NATO can't send in a rescue operation. It's just not possible. And so we just watch CNN or Fox or MSNBC or... Uh, Newsmax, and we, we sit there in utter frustration. What can we do? And and so some of the responses are just, uh, well, we have to do something. So Wimbledon is going to end the war now. Uh, Wimbledon, the great you know, tennis venue, has just announced that uh, Russian uh, players and players from Belarus will not be allowed to compete. That's going to have zero impact on uh, Putin or on the war, but it has a major impact on civil liberties and on the non-political aspect of sports and athletics. <clears throat> what if there are uh, Russian tennis players who are opposed to Putin, who have really engaged in courageous act of standing up to Putin? We know what happens to people who stand up to Putin. Uh, if you're lucky, you end up in the gulag, otherwise you'll end up poisoned or killed in some other way, um, standing up to Putin is very, very difficult. Uh, not lauding Putin can be very, very difficult if you're, if you're a famous uh, athlete. Uh, take, take, for example, Alex uh, Ovechkin, uh, probably the greatest um, professional uh, hockey player in the world today, or at least among the top. He's Russian. And as a Russian, he said previously that he had to uh, support his president. Um, he's, after all, you know, a great Russian uh, export. But now he's turned against the war. Um, he's tried to do it in a balanced way, saying the war must end. There's no justification for the war. The war must end now. I have friends both in Russia and in Ukraine. And the most important thing he said, and I'll quote him, I'm not in politics. I'm an athlete. Why shouldn't he have the right not to take any position whatsoever? Not everybody has to kneel when the national anthem is played or do a black power uh, a salute. People have the right just to sw swing their bat or, or hold their hockey stick uh, or uh, hold a tennis racket. And, and not take a political position. The same thing is true with actors. Not everybody has to be Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave uh, has decided to use her 
acting talent uh, to uh, promote communism and anti-Semitism. And, uh, you know, she's a miserable, miserable person, but a great actor. And, um, but she's chosen that path. And so we have the right to say we don't want to watch her. Um, I, don't, I was, in fact, on her side when she was banned from the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I took the position she shouldn't be banned, but anybody in the orchestra who didn't want to play with her should have the right not to play with her. I wouldn't go to see her perform, that's my right, but, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ban her. But that's because she's taken positions. Um, I wouldn't ban her because of her silence. I would ban her because she's taken obnoxious positions, not only verbally, but physically. She's held Kalashnikov rifles in her hand and, and talked about how important it is to kill Jews. Um, don't expect me to go and watch somebody perform who wants to kill my brothers and sisters uh, in, in Israel. I'm just not going to do it. Um, she has the right to her views, and I have the right to my reaction to her, to her views, which I made clear when I defended her right to speak at the Boston Symphony. I also challenged her to a debate, and she said she couldn't debate me because she belongs to the Communist Party. It's called something else. And in England, the people something or other BS party. Um, but um, she's on the Central Committee, and she's not allowed to express any opinions. She has to accept only opinions that are certified in advance by the Central Committee of this communist group, so much for freedom and liberty. So she wouldn't uh, debate me or anybody else uh, without the approval of the party and the approval of every word she says by the party. You know, the word politically correct comes from Stalinism. Uh, everything had to be politically correct before it could be expressed in the, in the former Soviet Union. But what's the, what's the right approach to this? I mean, you know, we've had experiences with this in the past. South Africa, um, during the apartheid period, the Olympic Committee uh, banned South Africa sending all white teams to the Olympics. If they discriminated in selecting people for athletic teams, those teams were prohibited from playing in the Olympics. That, that was the right decision. Uh, on the other hand, the United States made the horribly wrong decision in 1936 when Avery Brundage, a virulent anti-Semite bigot, um, 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 accepted Hitler's offer to hold the Olympics in Berlin to show off the great Nazi regime. And, and then he accepted Hitler's demand that Jewish athletes be excluded. And, and I think it was Marty Glickman who was a, a great runner and uh, was supposed to be on the U.S. Um, um, team, uh, relay team, and he was booted at the last minute. Um, fortunately, there was a guy that could take over who was even faster than he was. His name was Jesse Owens, and he was African-American, and the United States won the medal. But Jews were not allowed to participate, and Avery Brundage should forever be remembered uh, as, as the bigot he was, uh, A, for... Uh, allowing the Olympics to be held in Berlin and be for accepting the exclusion of Jews. It now turns out he was bribed. Um, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, there's evidence that he was told, his letters in his, own, in his own files, in which he was told that if he did these things and, and was on the side of the Nazi regime, they would hire his construction company to build the German embassy in, in 
Washington, I guess it was. His defender, however, came forward recently and said, no, 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 he didn't have to be bribed. It would be like saying you had to bribe Bill Clinton to support Hillary Clinton. He, he didn't have to be bribed. In other words, his, his defender is saying he didn't do it for money. He did it because he was pro-Nazi. He did it because he loved Hitler. I'd rather be accused of bribery or accepting a bribe than accused of doing it on the merits um, stupidity, stupidity on the part of the biographer and defender of uh, Avery Brundage. So, you know, we've had these experiences before, but this is different. And we also had other bad experiences. The United States pulled out of the Olympics under Jimmy Carter. That was not good. And that was not right uh, because obviously athletes train for years and all oh, you're hurting is them. Um, and there have been other, other efforts to interject politics. Now, now, this is different in two respects. Number one, what, what's going on in Ukraine is horrible, much worse than some of the things, not worse than Nazism, excuse me, but worse than some of the other things that cause exclusion. But on the other hand, it, people want to ban everybody. They want to ban everybody who is Russian. Uh, that's discrimination based on a national origin. I mean, you have people, I'll just give a few names, uh, Fedor Smolov, Nikita Zakharov. Uh, these are people who have been willing to stand up against Putin and who have condemned the war. And uh, they're going to be banned? That makes no sense at all. Uh, don't you want to encourage people to stand up or at least reward them if they've taken the risk, and the risks are very great. Remember, Putin's ability to poison people doesn't end at the borders, whatever the borders of Russia are these days. They're constantly expanding, or at least trying to be expanded. But uh, uh, Russians have been poisoned in England and in other parts of the world. And uh, so these athletes are really taking uh, tremendous risks. And, and my view, therefore, is that it's wrong to categorically ban any athlete who happens to be Russian or Belarusian. Uh, I think the better approach would be to ban Russian teams. You can't come in as Team Russia. You can't wear uh, a Russian Federation shirt or show a Russian Federation flag, but you can play tennis as an individual. Medvedev, uh, one of the highest ranking tennis players in the world, let him play. All right, you want to make an exception if somebody's Putin's best friend and has actively supported the war? That's one thing. But if the person's just an athlete, I wouldn't even demand that that person come out against the war. It's enough for me that the person didn't come out in favor of the war. If you want to be non-political, you have a right to be non-political. I would apply that not only to athletes, but to the opera. I'm going to miss seeing the Trepko this year at the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, she's a fantastic soprano, and I'm being denied the right to see it. Now, I'm prepared to make that sacrifice, obviously, if it could help the war efforts in Ukraine, but it hurts her. She's not a political person. Um, you know, the conductor Gureyev, you might say that's different. Gureyev is close to Putin and, 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 and maybe a supporter, uh, um, and he's a conductor, um, and he's been banned by the Metropolitan Opera as well. These cases should be decided on a case-by-case -case basis, on an issue-by-issue -issue basis. 
so that um, we don't have guilt by association, guilt by national origin, guilt by where you were born, the accident of, of birth. I, I do think that people, as Martin Luther King said, have to be judged by the quality of their character, not the color of their flag, uh, to, to paraphrase and change what Martin Luther King said. But, uh, you know, you can be an athlete and just be an athlete. Now, I know people will disagree and say, look, people are dying by the tens of thousands. Why are you worried about a couple of elite uh, athletes who, if they can't compete in Wilmington and in, in Wimbledon, will be able to compete uh, somewhere else, and maybe they won't compete this year, they'll compete next year. No, it's the principle of the thing. It's the principle. You don't punish people because of where they were born, what country they are now living in. Um, now, you know, obviously, if you bomb a country, civilians will be killed. So we do inadvertently, and it's not a war crime, to kill a civilian if the civilian death is proportionate to the military goals and civilians are in target and all of that. So we do have a bit of collective punishment uh, based on nationality. But uh, we should try to minimize that as much as absolutely possible. So what about the oligarchs? Even the oligarchs have to be judged individually. Take, for example, Oleg Tinkov. He's one of the major oligarchs. He's a man who made a lot of money um, when the Soviet Union ended and the Russian Federation began. He made a lot of money, and he made a lot of money as the result of Putin thinking well of him. So now he's called an oligarch. But he's come out against the war. He's come out against Putin. He's called it an insane war. Will he ever be able to go to Russia? Will he ever be able to do business again? To me, this guy is not condemnable. And we shouldn't use the term oligarch just to describe any person with Russian ethnicity who is rich. Um, we have to do it again on a case-by-case -case basis. I don't like the American sanction system. I fought against it. I won one case um, some years ago, and I'm litigating another case. I don't like sanctions because sanctions are lawless. They can be imposed without reason. They can be imposed for as long as you have to impose them, just based on suspicion, without proof. There's no due process. There's not even a requirement of notice. One day you learn you're sanctioned and all your money is taken. Oh, it's so easy to say, well, big deal, they have yachts. Well, they don't only have yachts, they have money for their families. And they have money, at least some of them have money that they earned legitimately. If they didn't earn it legitimately, go after the money they didn't learn, earn legitimately. But don't paint with a broad brush. The temptation is there. Um, we want to do something. Anybody who has any association, anybody who has any association with Russia or Putin must be condemned, must take away all their money, must uh, do other things uh, 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 to them. That's the way Putin thinks. And that's the way tyrants think. That's not the way people should think in a democracy. In a democracy, we should not have guilt by association or guilt by accusation or guilt for being on the wrong side of a political issue, particularly when you haven't expressed any 
political views. So this is a small part of a big issue of the politicization of sports, of how much sports teams, leagues, franchises should encourage individual athletes to take controversial positions on social matters. Look, I grew up with uh, Jackie Robinson. I mean, he was on the Brooklyn Dodgers, 1947, when I was nine years old. It was the greatest day for everybody in, in, in Brooklyn. Not everybody, by the way. There was some there were some bigots and racists in Brooklyn who booed Robinson when he came up to uh, bat. I have a photograph among my photographs. I have a photograph of the Jackie Robinson's first at bat uh, in Ebbets Field. I was not there, but I did see him many, many, many times, stealing many, many, many bases, driving many, many, many pitchers crazy. And um, he was a symbol. He changed the world. He changed American sports. But he didn't do it by proclaiming things. He did it by his athletic skills and his ability to, uh, to persuade uh, the world that segregation had to come to an end in sports and everywhere else. It wasn't easy. Dixie Walker, the great outfielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who was one of the best hitters in the league, said he couldn't play on the same team as, as, as Jackie Robinson. And Dixie Walker was a proved great athlete. Robinson was not. And um, you know, the managers and owners of the Brooklyn Dodgers did the right thing. They said to Dixie Walker, if you can't play with Jackie Robinson, then don't play. But we're putting Jackie Robinson at second base. Uh, and he went to second base and, as you know, uh, won many pennants and won World Series for the Brooklyn Dodgers. I have the ring, of the, not only of the World Series, but I own the 1947 pennant ring uh, also, the year Robinson broke in, and the 1955 World Series uh, ring. Um, and, and so how yeah, there's a role for uh, athletes in, by, their, by their performance doing great things for, for equality and for the Constitution and, and for sports. But there's no obligation. There's no obligation. A, a black player could come up, uh, say, in 1951 or two and say, look, I just want to swing the bat and catch the ball. Don't ask me to make any political statements. Turns out Jackie Robinson was a Republican. And, and, and people were shocked to learn that he was a Republican. He supported Richard Nixon. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, he was a great ball player, and that's what he should be judged on. Um, if you get into politics, then your politics is judged. But if you stay out of politics, you should be judged on your athletic skills, on your operatic skills, on your business skills, on anything else. The temptation is great. Let's do everything we can to punish anybody who has anything to do with Russia. But that's not the American way, and that's not the way of, of due process. And I'm curious as to how many of you <laughs> will agree with me on this one. Uh, yesterday, um, the last two times we had shows that produced hundreds and hundreds, uh, maybe even thousands of um, uh, statements from people, um, almost all opposed to my views, uh, particularly um, yesterday when I talked about the, ma the mask mandate 
and, and wondered whether or not a decision by a single judge to outlaw the mask mandate for public um, uh, transportation, particularly airplanes and trains and buses, would promote the health of Americans or hurt the health of Americans. I tried to have a nuanced discussion of the issue. I understand there are all sides. People do have a right not to wear a mask, not a constitutional right, just an ordinary right not to wear a mask. And I think people have a right to be protected from people who aren't wearing masks. So I, I took that position. Wow, <laughs> you should read the responses. Let me start by reading a couple of the intelligent ones. I'd say 90% of them were utterly thoughtless, and I'll, I'll read one or two of them to make the point. But let's start with one or two that were at least arguable. Here's, here's one that was typical. If mask worked, then I don't need a shot. If shots worked, then I don't need a mask. If neither works, why bother? If both work, there would be no COVID. That is a perfect example of a rigid mind that doesn't understand subtlety, nuance, or the reality of life. Yes, masks work imperfectly. The shot works imperfectly. When you add the mask to the shot, the protection increases. Is there anything illogical about that? It's an empirical issue. If you might argue, maybe, maybe the mask doesn't work at all. Maybe the shot doesn't work at all. But the argument that if the mask worked, you wouldn't need a shot is ridiculous. If the mask works, the shot works. Um, if shots worked, I wouldn't need a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had my four shots, and I wear a mask all the time. Not here in my house. I do when the electrician came in earlier today. I put on my mask, and I demand that he wear a mask when he's fixing my electricity. But I've had my shots, and I wear a mask <laughs> because I think they both work. Okay, so that's the kind of thinking that gets reflected a lot when you politicize things. And it sounds so logical. You know, it sounds kind of Aristotelian logic. But it's so illogical when you think about it because things don't work perfectly, but they work incrementally. Okay, next. Check the Nuremberg Code. Check the Nuremberg Code. Well, I have. Believe me, I've taught it. I know it virtually by heart. Check the Nuremberg Code. It says the government cannot make you wear a mask. Right. I just Section 3A, um, Nuremberg Code, which deals with Nazis experimenting on children and killing them after crippling them, says you can't wear a mask. <laughs> uh, how about it? Um, uh, Golden 1101. $10,000 to your favorite charity if you can find anything in the Nuremberg Code that says anything about masks. It so trivializes what went on at Nuremberg to compare what Mengele did to Jewish children and, and Romani children, to compare that with, hey, you got to put on a mask for uh, half an hour uh, if you're going into the store or for two hours if you're flying on an airplane. Come on, what an insult. What a stupid comment. And can't you at least check before you write to me? You go on Google. Nuremberg Code, read it. 
say, Nuremberg Code masks, and you'll see nothing comes out. So just do your homework. Um, okay. Here. Now we begin to get to the really stupid ones. Um, why do you people watch my show? That's what I don't understand. You're not going to be satisfied with what I say. Here's one. Germ theory is a lie to begin with. No so-called disease has ever spread to anyone. Dr. Robert Young, Andrew Kaufman, Dr. Tom Cowan cite germ theory as lie. Louis Pasteur was a fraud. I mean, come on, where, where do you get this stuff? Germ theory, you know, is a lie. Where, where do you come up with this stuff like this? Why do you politicize everything, politicize science? Look at the data. It's so clear that germ theory doesn't explain everything, obviously, neither does evolution. But to deny it as an explanation for certain things scientifically, it's ridiculous. Here's a, here's a relatively intelligent criticism. Um, I, I said yesterday that there was hypocrisy on both sides, that the Democrats didn't like when one judge um, uh, uh, created laws, like yesterday, when a judge said, um, you can't have the mask. The Democrats didn't like that. They said, one judge, no, one judge shouldn't be able, uh, allowed to determine what's going on in the whole country. The Republicans didn't like it when one judge struck down some of the Trump administration's procedures, and I called that hypocrisy. So here's the answer. It's quite simple, Alan. Usually when it starts that way, you know it's wrong, because it's never simple. But it's quite simple. We, the Republicans, were outraged when one judge could strike down a lawful constitutional executive order, executive order. And we are cheering when one judge strikes down an unlawful, unconstitutional CDC travel mandate. I'm not so sure why this is so hard for you to comprehend. It's not hard for me to comprehend. You're just dead wrong. Uh, there's no difference uh, constitutionally between an executive order and something done pursuant to the role of the executive, the CDC is after all an executive agency. And, and would it have been different? Would the Republicans have complained uh, less, would the Democrats complained less, if, um, it, 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 if the uh, mandate of masks hadn't been done by the CDC, but had been done by the president by executive order? Come on, nonsense. You're just making up distinctions to justify the end you like. Uh, due process for me, but not for the constitutional rights for me, but not for thee. That's the name of the game. This is a more subtle form of hypocrisy, but it's hypocrisy nonetheless. I don't know what's happened to Alan Dershowitz, but I suspect it's the same thing that's going on with Joe Biden. I guess they're talking about my obvious senility. Um, uh, he still says he doesn't see evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. The guy has lost in mind. No, I do not see evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. What I see is some fraud. I see some unconstitutional actions, particularly in Pennsylvania. But I see a president who was elected overwhelmingly by the popular vote, overwhelmingly, which Republicans always forget to mention, and overwhelmingly by the Electoral College. 
Um, yes, some states were close, and maybe some states conceivably could have gone the other way if different methods of counting. I'm not a big supporter at all of machine counting of ballots. I do know from my research that machine voting is capable of mistakes. It's capable of worse than mistakes, but there's no evidence that that has happened. But mistakes can happen. But no, I don't believe there was massive fraud in the election of 2000, and I haven't lost my mind, and I haven't yet become senile. I haven't been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I'm the same Alan Dershowitz I was when I was 25 years old. Maybe my memory is a little less good, and certainly my basketball jump shot is not what it used to be, but uh, I'm still very much with it. Um, and then to this, of course, you always get some of these this liberal Jew can't be trusted. Double-talking fraud. Liberal Jew can't be tested. The guy pretends to be on the side of God, but we can all see right through him and his horns. Hey, let's be very clear. Let's be very, very clear. There are no horns. You know the origin <laughs> of the anti-Semitic notion that Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with horns? It's some idiot didn't understand Hebrew. The word is Karen. Karen has two meanings in Hebrew. One, it means horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other meaning was, is a halo, is a light glowing. And obviously, if you read it in context, Moses came down with a light, you know, a beam of light from God, not horns. When my wife went to high school um, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, she was one of the only Jewish kids in her class, and a woman came over and asked if she could feel the horns, because all of her life she's been told that Jews have these little horns. Um, and uh, so my, my, my wife uh, allowed her to inspect her scalp, and she went away saying, you're probably not Jewish. So, you know, you can't persuade anybody if you don't have horns then, then you're not. I don't have horns, and I am Jewish. Okay. There's literally 50 studies that prove beyond any doubt that masks don't prevent transmission of respiratory diseases by even 1%, you old retarded, and then they use the, the F word. Uh, that is a nasty word about gay people, which I'm not going to repeat. Mask pushers deserve death. Now they want to kill me because I wear masks and support masks, and because I know, because I've read all the studies, that there are mixed results in the studies. But many studies, many studies suggest that masking, particularly masking by everybody, um, uh, does offer tremendous protection. Now, you might say, well, I'm wearing a mask. I sometimes even double mask. Uh, why do I care if somebody else is wearing a mask? Well, it turns out that if you wear a mask, you're protected. But if the person next to you wears a mask too, you're at least doubly protected, maybe even more so. So my protection, in some respects, really does depend on other people wearing masks. And I just ask a simple question. If you think there's no studies, there's nothing at all, next time you go to your doctor's office or you go to a hospital, notice something. All the doctors are wearing masks. All the nurses are wearing masks. All the patients are wearing masks. 
My doctor won't see me unless I have a mask. I won't see him unless he has a mask. I listen to my doctors. Yeah, there's some evidence that's disputed. Of course, there's always going to be disputed evidence, but you opt for caution. You opt for safety. Uh, that's the way people should do it. It's the way I do it. The question is whether the law should compel it. That's, that's, that's um, a matter of, of, of opinion and a matter of constitutional law. And we'll talk later, I'm sure, uh, on this show about how much the Constitution can compel. Remember, the case decided the other day was not a constitutional case. It was a case under the Administrative Procedure Act. So the question remains, if Congress were to pass a statute compelling masks to be worn on airplanes, would it be constitutional? I think it would be. Uh, reasonable people could take a different view, but I'm fairly confident my view would prevail. Well, I'm going to miss you. We'll see you until next uh, uh, Monday. But in the meantime, be safe, be healthy, wear masks, keep your social distancing, get your vaccine if you haven't gotten it. Uh, that's my advice. I have to give you the best advice I possibly can because I want you to live and be healthy. See ya.